At its 2013 Symposium on Plays, Marianne Weems and Erica Laird of the Builders Association spoke with SDCF producing director Ellen Rusconi about the process of creating theater with heavy use of multimedia elements. Listen as they share the intricacies involved in rehearsing and maintaining a piece when working with both human and non-human counterparts, and how to fuse the two to symbiotically create a piece of holistic, organic art. These innovative theater artists speak to a director's responsibility when dealing with these mediums, in addition to garnering enough financial and professional support to mount and sustain such a visionary art form. Hello, I'm director and fight choreographer Erica Gould, and you are listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the American Theatre Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast. Hi, I'm Ellen Rasconi. I'm producing director of Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation. It's June 17, 2013, and we're here at the Emerging Artists Symposium on Plays at MTC Rehearsal Studios in New York City. We're here right now with Marion Weems and Erica Laird of the Builders Association, and they're here to talk about their process and the use of technology, which they are masters at, um, in their work. So thank you for being here today. Thank you. We all have your bio in front of us. Everybody Rich. has memorized it. <laughs> Excellent. So there's no need to go over it. We can just <laughs> so jump we're done. right in. <laughs> so we can just jump right in. Um, okay, I'm going to be reading my questions because I don't have them in my brain. Um, okay, before we talk about your innovative and breathtaking, my words, use of technology <laughs> as a central element of your storytelling, I'd like to talk about some of the elements at the heart of, of theater in general, right? Um, your, your work over the last 15 years or so has been exploring an issue central to our contemporary lives, or issues central to our contemporary lives, and you do so by using individual stories and histories for the most part. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us where your inspiration comes from, where you find these stories, and what sparks your imagination? Yes, I can. <laughs> uh, well, let me just say, so, so I'm the artistic director of the Builders, and Erica is the managing director, and I've dragged her up here because, um, you know, the Builders Association is a nonprofit theater company, which is a slightly different animal than, uh, than, an, independent artist, than an independent director, but... So you feel free to accost her with more institutional questions, such as, why am I doing this, or when, when can I stop? Um, so, well, yes, stories. Um, uh, I, I am very interested in what's happening now, and I'm sure you all are too, and um, looking at the current world, culture, you know, political system, economic, global, and um, sort of mining that for storylines. So um, rather than starting from a play in particular, although we have done classics like Faust and Master Builder, I really try to start from, you know, a contemporary spark, like something I, basically I read the times and look at the, you know, spend some time online. And I'm looking for personal stories that I think emblematize 
you know, something that's kind of like in the zeitgeist. Like um, <clears throat> our last show that was at BAM was called House Divided, and it was about the foreclosure crisis, but it was grounded in the Grapes of Wrath. So it was kind of a, like, you know, that was the frame, was the Grapes of Wrath, which is a very accessible, you know, identifiable story about um, dispossession. And, you know, certainly the foreclosure crisis and the middle class and the working class is very much, you know, is, has gone through that in the last 10 years. So, um, so that's kind of what the idea is that I, I'm trying to, I mean, I'm looking like at Jackson. the real world, but I'm, then I'm looking for a frame that is, you know, from the sort of more classical world, let's say. How about Jet Set then, which was about... Jet Lag was jet about... Lag, um, no, no, that's good. I mean, Jet Lag was a very unusual collaboration because it was with the architects, um, Diller and Scafidio, who designed the High Line and the new Lincoln Center and a bunch of other things. Um, but, let's see, so... I mean, that was an odd production because, yes, that was based uh, particularly on these two stories, one about a true story about a woman who flew back and forth across the Atlantic 167 times until she died of jet lag. And the other story was about a sailor who, also a true story, who faked his journey around the world, essentially. So that, um, but there's sort of a hook there in that it was very much about these two characters sort of disappearing into time and space, like people who used these technologies like airplane flight and radio you know, waves to create different locations and sort of hide within this technical pocket. So that's an idea that is definitely about an individual, but it's, very, but it's also kind of about this more global thing about how technology in sometimes like separates us from uh, you know, others and from the, the real world while giving us the illusion of coming closer. Or it manipulates geography in so many ways. You know, you when you get on a flight and you go to L.A. or wherever you're going, it's like that. There's no, there's no you know, journey. There's just a departure and arrival. And so that, that kind of is the hook for me, that, you know, how we experience duration and And even journey. then there was an underlying societal kind of a Critique. comment on society. Yeah. She was doing, the, the woman who was flying back and forth was doing so to avoid a custody issue. Um, and she realized that if she were in the air, the custody laws did not apply. Right, the exactly. The custody laws did not apply. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> right. Which is, ex I mean, it's an bizarre story. Yeah. But, yeah. So you just, so, so what sparks your imagination in all of these things? I mean, I think it's hard to say. It's part of, partly just saying... You know, oh, my God, that's like a moment. That's a moment that we all can, that we're all living in, in some deeper way. So just, um, I'm not really very clear on how or what. But one thing that I'll tell you is that I bring it to my group of collaborators. And if they're, if there's like eye rolling and no interest, then that's where it dies. So, so I often, you know, come up with, I mean, Usually my idea is I kind of like force people to do them, but it's part of it is part of it is sort of working with you know your trusted group of, of friends or, or people you respect and trying to see if that rings their bell too. You know that yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. current culture, like if you're talking about something that other people are sort of jazzed by too. And you're not on a regular production schedule. Right? No, no. I mean, God no. We, we don't have any, we don't do anything normal or easy, really, I don't know. Um, I mean, well, the, the whole... going to be crying <laughs> You know, I'm sure you're all familiar with one nonprofit 
ensemble or another and you know the way that we I was I worked at the Worcester group when I was growing up and um which is a you know a downtown theater company that a lot of people came out of like Spalding Gray and Willem Dafoe and etc and I um Sam Gold actually also worked that's right Sam worked there yeah long after me yeah and uh, but in the same position he was an AD and so was I but in any case we so I kind of learned the ropes in terms of like taking as much time as it takes to make a piece so it is complete it's labor intensive it is hugely non-profit Um, it's sort of about just trying to create the time and space to get your vision you know onto the stage and so um, it's very, it's it, it's definitely not within the kind of season schedule. It's really, I mean, most of our shows actually take about two years to make from the first drunken concept meeting to the actual premiere, and a lot of that is fundraising. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is kind of workshops and development periods and working on working with everybody in the room. I mean, like all the designers and the actors and everyone to create a kind of language for that show. So it's very, it is very idiosyncratic. So actually that leads me to something that I want to ask Eric about. But first I want to talk about that process that you just alluded to. So what, where, where do you begin? You begin with a a meeting with your collaborators. Yeah. Well, first I begin by doing a shitload of research, which is really fun. That's the best part of the job, as I'm sure you know, is like thinking by yourself and reading and imagining what it could be, and then it all goes to pot from there. Um, And so, for instance, with Grapes of Wrath, I mean with House Divided, so I did a a lot of research about the foreclosure crisis, and then... um, we got together and looked at all that material and tried out several different texts and then watched the movie of Grapes of Wrath and I sort of, you know, said, this is going to be, this could be it. And so we all read that together. Um, Then there were tears and recriminations and then we decided that we were going to do that. And so then um, basically we, you know, I spent some time with two of my collaborators who kind of constructed the material. I wouldn't really say wrote it because it's not really a play in that regard. It was, it's more like these found texts that then we try out on our feet and see how they flow out. And, um, I mean, there's so many, there's so many steps along the way. I guess some highlights of House Divided were that we were, um, very generously being sort of underwritten by the um, Wexner Center at, the, at Columbus University and they got a creative capital grant from Duke Campus, Creative Campus Campus, Creative Campus grant from Duke to bring the company out and sort of create this show so one thing that we were, um, that, that's very important to us obviously is sort of the visual world of the piece and how that the metaphoric you know, visual space is where the story resides. So it's not just like the story's being told through the words, it's being told, you know, visually and architecturally and with video and sound, and it's really about this kind of larger, creating this whole world on stage that that is embodies the ideas. So we, through the Wexner Center, were able to find a foreclosed house that we cut up and made into the set for the show. So, and that was working with another architect who's our set designer, and over a period of many months, you know, sort of finding the house and then deciding that we really were going to be able to cut it down and, you know, then making that into a set idea. And so that's sort of one big tangent that, that happens is the physical world and then how we're going to use the video. And so the two video designers who we work with are kind of there from the beginning, 
because it's really not about just setting up a screen anymore. You know, it's really about incorporating the video in some deeper, more integrated and surprising way. So we kind of lined the house with screens and that took a while to figure out. And, and then our sound designer, who's fabulous, ended up playing the electric zither through the whole thing, that he, which, is a, which is an instrument that he built at Blue Man Group, actually, and just rocked it. So that was like a whole other, you know, part of the show was to have live music instead of pre-recorded. So, you know, it happens very organically and you kind of need the time for it to, to flow out like that. Um, and it's very much, again, has to do with the people you trust and believing that they're, you know, the kind of artists that you want to surround yourself with. Does that help at all? It does. It does. I mean, it, do, it does. It does. But how? But Erica, how then do you keep an organization going through this? <laughs> well, um, yes, how do you? <laughs> um, well, we've been very lucky with the productions in that there's always a way to make the show happen. And it can happen in a variety of different ways. It happens, um, like Marianne was just describing with House Divided, which was a really large-scale piece that took three-plus years to put together. Um, we were lucky to have a co-producing partner and also a huge grant to make that show. So, great. Um, with Jetlag, when we remount that, we remounted that in 2010, um, out at Montclair State, and that, you know, Montclair just said, hey, we want to we do this, here's however much money you need to do this. So it, each show happens differently, and in between when we're actually in production for something, we're just always planning for the next thing. Um, so that's make fundraising, trying to find whatever money we can to just keep the doors open. I mean, it's just Marianne and I full-time. Everyone else comes on by a, on a project-by-project basis, but we do have a core group of people who we work with for every show, so I ask them to just sort of make us their first priority, and I try to give them as much notice as I can when we're going to go into rehearsal or into an extended period of development for something. Um, and so far, you know, I mean, Marianne's worked with the same people for some of them for 20 years, so... Um, it's a cult. It's a, it's a weird little cult, but everyone enjoys the work, so I think that's what keeps them coming back. And the rest of the time, we just do what we can to keep the doors open. And you yeah. tour. You do a lot of yeah. We do touring. a lot of touring. Uh huh. And how did that come about? I don't know. How long have you been at the I've company? I've been here for four years. Okay. So um, how the company's been touring extensively almost since the very beginning, yeah. and that I mean. For the first 10 years, I would say, most of the touring was international. Most of it was overseas. Um, and that, you know, is just a, a function of the type of work that we do. I think Europe was a little bit more open to that in the beginning than the U.S. presenters, where it's a presenting world is a whole kind of different animal in some respects. Um, and then in the, you know, in the last 10 years, we've done a lot more U.S. touring. Um, so it kind of... So we're doing that. We're planning tours and setting up tours when we're not. And do you work with a booking agent on that? We don't. You right don't? No. Nope. We've always done it ourselves. Wow. Well, there's a whole... There's if they work with a booking agent. Because this is a really different network than regional theaters. It's um, like yeah. the whole... There's a kind of international festival circuit that's for companies like this or for work like this, and they... You know, you either know them or you don't. It's not like a booking agent can really get. The, it's potentially they could potentially they could grab someone's attention, but it's more about cultivating relationships. And then the same in the U.S. I mean, there are like five or seven presenters who, you know, regularly do this kind of work, and they're really, um, you know, alternative theaters. They're not. It's yeah. not like a regional market. Mm -hmm. 
Although the piece that we're doing now, Sontag Reborn, you know, hopefully will yeah. might cross over. So we'll see about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a little bit more commercial, probably because of the subject, right? Could be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. I mean, there's I a celebrity. So. It's a celebrity. It's a celebrity. I guess it's a it's a known. It's an yeah, I'm not sure Susan Sontag is going to sell a show, though. I mean, I think it's that. <laughs> If she would probably if, differ, if, right? No, no, I think she would oh, be very really? surprised if this show was going anywhere. Um, I mean, I think this show is, it's a simple idea. It's graspable, and it's also like a very accessible framework because often our shows are much more like complex technically and Baroque and, you know, very, very layered, and this show is kind of like, was a little chamber piece. That was the idea instead of doing a show with, you know, 25 people and a footprint that's 40 by 40 feet, that we would make a little, you know, show with one actor and eight people on the road. So it's a very different, that was a really different move for us. And I think in some ways it made it more sort of commercially, like it just started to speak a different language slightly. Yeah. It's it's a really interesting piece. I urge everybody to see it. It's down in New York Theater Workshop for another two weeks or so. Yeah, through the and end of the month. And it is... Uh, the what strikes me is, I mean, this, it's very interesting. Anyway, she's interesting, and it's such a thing about the artist, right? Yes. Um, and the selfishness and the, all, all of those themes. Mm. But, uh, or that's what I got. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, also, it is the most visually integrated use of multimedia I have ever seen. I mean, it is, it, it's incomprehensible to have that show without the multimedia, yeah. right? I mean, that's. It's so integral to the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to ask about that. How do you acquaint your te- to your actors or actor in the case of Sontag with the technology? Right. And is that a difficult piece for actors to? Well, it kind of depends on the actor. I mean, Mo, who's playing Sontag, has been in the company for like twelve years or something. So she's very familiar with the the ins and outs and challenges. I mean, when we have new people in the company, which is kind of rare they you can tell almost immediately if an actor is gonna you know be able to flow with it or if they're gonna hate it because there is a very it's somewhere between film acting and theater yeah Yeah. it's not like standing on stage and saying look at me you know it's like you're using the mics and the cameras to kind of uh, magnify your image and emotional content and all of that but it's often film acting it's very small so um I mean, years ago when we did our, our first European show, it was with some Swiss artists who were, I mean, Swiss actors who, and this was their first experience, and they kept saying, but no one will look at me. They'll be looking at the screen, um, which is like, yeah, they're going to see you on the screen. But, you know, but in some ways, I mean, I think that's legitimate. It's legitimate still because it's the director's responsibility to make the balance, you know, to guide the audience's eyes so they're not just staring at the screen the whole time and so you know it's a very delicate dance like bringing the focus onto the stage and then into the mediated space and then back into the stage and you know the thing that makes it theater for me is that you're kind of playing this game where the audience can see both they get to see you know the screen and the fabulous illusion and then they see the people making it so it's like this Brechtian device if you will do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, and in Sontag, it actually becomes more than a one-woman show because you have yes. two characters who interact and who... And yeah. actually, it feels like more than two characters. Actually Good, yes, time. yeah. Um, I hate to talk about people's work to people because 
No, no, like, no. That, none of that's true. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's, that's absolutely true. I never, I was just adamant that we couldn't do a one-person show because it just, yeah. that feels kind of dated and icky and problematic. But So I wasn't very interested in the material until um, Mo Angelos, who, you know, brought the idea to me, mentioned that Susan used to go back and write in the margins of her, her old journals. So when she was much older, she would look at her earlier journals and write, you know, like, childhood, a terrible waste of time. <laughs> and that, so, and which is what she thought. So that you know, creates this dialogue and dynamic yeah. between the, this all-knowing, you know, very established, sophisticated, continental philosopher and then this, like, aspiring, naive, struggling 14-year-old. And that is very much a two-person... I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's a dialogue, yeah. you know, yeah, a very yeah, yeah. deep dialogue. But we all have with ourselves, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't end up just feeling like one person representing themselves. Correct. It's more like a representation of Susan's mind. That was my idea, to kind of stage yeah. her, her process. Yeah, it's very effective. Um, so how is, that, how is that, how is your tech process then? How does that work? Do you, have, do, you do a longer Tragic. tech? <laughs> oh, yes, no, this is like, <laughs> so funny, because we say this every time we go into a show. We try to explain to the presenter or the producer or whoever's hosting us, every day is tech. And then we start, and they're like, you are shitting me. You guys are going to do this for six weeks? Because, um, I mean, it's, it is, the it's all tech. The whole process is tech? Yeah. yeah. Because From the very first rehearsal when we're on our feet with any amount of material that we have, we have every piece of equipment in the room. Oh, Because my it's sketching. You know, I mean, that's the, that's the talent for these, these designers. It's like they're sketching in real time. So it takes a specific kind of designer like it takes a specific kind of actor you know it's the same thing it can't be a designer who wants to walk away and like come up with their plan and then come in it's got to be somebody who's light on their feet and can say try this image try that that looks you know and then I'll just say like that's great that's terrible what are you doing you know and so it goes on and on and on like that and they and that's why it is an ensemble I mean I'm really a designer's director and that's and they feel like they are the players in the ensemble but that's also why the the media is so deeply integrated and it's part of the story. You could not tell the story without the media and that's because of this process, because it's integrated from the very beginning. Yeah, that's true. I mean, people, I'm glad you mentioned that at the beginning because we often get requests for our scripts, you know, but there's no... It's not <laughs> It's yeah, not a standalone play. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of like you need to have all the other layers of you know, of information there and of storytelling in order for it to feel like the show. The words aren't really the story. How about that? <laughs> so then do you, do, you, do you entice people to present this with video? I assume you give video, you know, oh, oh. or whatever, right? I mean, if you can't send a script. Oh, we have clips and DVDs of all of our performances, so we okay. usually send that, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned about focusing your eye. Can you share with us some of your wisdom on that? <laughs> because this must have developed over time. It has, absolutely. Okay. Um, wisdom. Well, I got tricks. nothing. I mean, like, no. practical <laughs> advice on that. Okay, practical <laughs> advice. I can do that. So one thing that is just absolutely, you know, death, I think, especially in, like, if you see a Broadway show now, is to use media as if it's a backdrop. 
You know, because video is not just a screen. I mean, it's not like a painted backdrop. It is, media has meaning, deep meaning in this culture, right? I mean, we're all like smart viewers who spend a good deal of our days looking at some kind of a screen and thinking about the world in this mediated way. Do you know what I mean? You don't, we don't live apart from the digital universe. So if you have a screen on stage, you really need to kind of acknowledge that and say there's, a magic, there's a, like a magical power in a way in that, um, in that like layer of storytelling. So it's something that I think you need to think really carefully about why you're using it if you are using it. And... and you know, I often challenge my directing students and say, you don't always need it. Like, you need to have a reason that you want to have media in the, in the piece, not just that it's cool or, you know, that it's going to look better. It's really about, um, like, finding a way into the story that calls for it. And then that sort of guarantees that it's going to be integrated. You know, it's going to be integrated into the storytelling because it's not just something you lay on in Tech Week. It's like a tool you're using for telling the story. And it can be very, very simple. I mean, that's the thing about Sontag, and I invite you to come see it because I, I think a lot of her, usually in our big shows, like we've done our last four premieres at BAM, and the, the three questions we always get asked after every show is, how did you make it? How much did it, how much did it cost? And what does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> Not really, you know, what does it mean, like, what, what the hell have you people been doing? But sort of like, you know, it's this overarching, big, multivalent thing. It's not necessarily just like a story with a moral, as you all know. So, um, but how did you make it is always complicated because it's like saying, well, there's 10 designers and we got this software and blah, and there's 10 computers. But with Sontag, it's really very, very simple. It's one, you know... <laughs> It's a pre-recorded piece of video and then some other beautiful images that are also pre-recorded that are projected over the live actors. So really, pretty much anyone in this room with a computer could do this. You know, and I think that that's really key. Certainly, my wisdom is over the last 20 years that when we started out, it was very, it was so complicated really to get the tech up and running. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, you can make a show with your iPhone. So I think that that's like a different a different level of feeling like well I can access this you know I can try it and see if it's you know see what it see what it says see how you can put it into a, the physical world you know what I mean yeah no I know what you I know what you mean I mean I found it for me it's incomprehensible because I do not I could never work that way you know but if you're technologically oriented you yeah know, absolutely uh, but I would look at it and think. Uh, where do I even start? Um, but is there are there programs that are particularly helpful for this? Programs like, like if somebody wanted to start out exploring the use of multimedia and exploring the use of this kind of integrated technology, is do you have advice on where you could en where's where an you entry point? Yeah, or where's an entry point for it? Well, we're going to teach a master class. We're, we've started teaching master classes, and I think it was actually quite eye opening for the people who were who were involved more than I expected it to be. So that, that's a possibility. In, I mean, what, in what sense? I because think. people who come from this part of the world, the theater world, are like, I think, intimidated or have a sort of unconscious resistance to the, the visual art slash media world. And it's mostly just not knowing how to make the link. And I think once you start to say, oh, that could, you know, that's, 
that could be storytelling or that's a picture I could make, then it kind of, you know, feeds itself. So it's really, I think, that a lot of theater training doesn't have anything to do with this. I mean, a lot of directorial training hardly has anything to do with design, which I think is a huge liability because, you know, that's what's going to be arresting in this visual world is the kind of visual, you know, um, statement you can make on stage. So um, so there's that. There's our master class. What else is there? Um, God, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, the program where I'm teaching at Carnegie Mellon is sort of starting to be a little bit more um, geared towards incorporating media, but n- I'm not sure if that's really going to work. I mean, I honestly think it's more just meeting. If there's some show that you see that you think is exciting, then you need to introduce yourself to the director and try to get an internship or just say, can I come observe rehearsals and, you know, glom onto a video designer. I mean, it's really about a kind of apprenticeship, I think, still. It's, there's no real training program. Well, if somebody were to come up, like, what do you respond to when, when you get those kind of letters or those kind of emails or those kind of calls? I mean, I assume you get them. We do get them, yeah. Um, I mean, it sort of has to do with how you know, how full the room is already, but it's also if what people can bring to the table. I mean, if, th- if somebody says, you know, I'm willing to do anything, I can run around, I'm, I've done this kind of work in the past, I, you know, have a background in journalism or painting or whatever, you know, I think something about you that seems unique is a good way to grab somebody else's attention, not to just say I've gone down the normal road, but, you know, that I've, I have this interest or, you know, I could bring this to the table. More so than why I'd like to do this is. No, nobody cares. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's not, it's like you, <laughs> if you want to work with someone, it has to be like why, what, what why you could bring guy. to them. Not uh, That sounds horrible, but it's true. No, and when you have so many people in the room, that's yeah. true, because everybody has to have some sort of role. That's right, yeah. Some sort of position. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. Um, how can we, well, I guess we've talked about how we can use multimedia better, um, but what, for what ends is technology the means in theater? Right. Well, I mean, I think the thing that theater has going for it, the only thing that we have to survive is that it is about liveness. You know, it's about live bodies on stage. And the fact that people will still commit to coming to a space at a certain amount of time, I mean, at a certain time, and everyone's sitting in a room together and, you know, experiencing this live event. So don't let go of that. But, you know, I think that the thing, for me, putting media in is a way of, like, speaking about what's happening to liveness, like, that we all do kind of live in this liminal space between the digital world and, and the, real, the physical world, and that we, that, you know, liveness is very, is being compromised and challenged and enhanced and is kind of a fascinating, we're in a fascinating state. So, um... That's kind of what I'm trying to stage is that that like spectrum between something that's completely live and something that's completely digital. So, but you can't do that without a, a stage. Like the stage right. is the laboratory. And without an actor. And without an actor. Yeah. Um, how has audiences? I mean, you're saying that audiences are going in that direction and are used to that. So, how have your audiences' responses changed from, say, jet lag through Sontag? Or I guess more jet lag through House Divided because Sontag right. is a different method. 
matter entirely. Yeah, I mean, I think when we first started, like, you know, we started making this work in 1994, and the first four years, there was a lot of, why is this theater? You know, that... That's, you know, the audience certainly, but also, you know, presenters and people who were just trying to really, I think, understand it. And my answer was, it's in a theater, so it is theater. <laughs> but, um, you know, and since then, I think, that, I think that theater's kind of opened up. And, you know, people have been kind of forced to come to terms with that this kind of work is here to stay. And so it hasn't been so much a question of the form anymore. I mean, I think it, it is kind of a still a, a stretch for some people just formally that you would have all these different things on stage and not just a per, not just an actor. But, you know, theaters always had media in it, even if it was just gas lights and, you know, uh, live music. I mean, it still is about combining several forms and making this Gesamtkunstwerk, if you will. Does everyone know? <laughs> that's Wagner's term for, like, all arts in one. So, and that's really what, you know, theater can be, is, like, you're staging this whole... Um, conflagration and melding together of all these different forms. I think you're just trying to be like, what the fuck? No, no, no. I think that's I, I think that's true. I think, um, you know, it's just it's just you know you do it very well. I guess that's that's the that's the hard part is where is again where you start with it. And I, mm-hmm. I do understand you start with the idea, but. Well, one other thing is that I majored in composition, so I don't have any theater background, so I'm not hobbled with that. And also, I um, so I so I was very, you know, so I kind of cut my teeth on this idea of creating this dynamic, dimensional, you know, thing that uses lots of different lines of information, but isn't necessarily theater per se. So it's kind of about like orchestrating the video and the sound and the performance. And is that how you then go through a piece is kind of more rhythmically? Are you, are you Well, no, I'm still trying to tell a story, but ultimately I think that what, you know, for me the, mo- the most fun part of any show, and I'm sure as directors you can identify with this, is when the, when the baseline is there and you get to start tweaking it. And you can say, you know, well, this should be, this should come forward and that should recede and this part sucks and let's cut that and let's make this, let's expand this. And so... That's when you start to think, like, musically, yeah, 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 rhythmically. But you still have to get, like, some kind of storyline or grounding in there to begin with. But that is definitely just half of it for me, is getting the story straight. And, and I mean, you said before you're very much a designer's director, which, is, which I think comes through. But then how do you work with your cast? And how do you keep your cast? I mean, it's different, I guess, in a one-woman show. She was spectacular Yeah, she's fabulous, fabulous. Oh, you just saw it last night? I just oh, saw good. it last night, yeah. She was spectacular. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's a great performance. But how do you do it when you're working with a group of people, not all of whom you've worked with before? Well, a lot of it is the older actors trying to, like, orient the younger ones. And, and I always say to actors, you know, <laughs> bring a book, because at some point you are going to be sitting there while the computers are rebooting, and you're going to hate this. Mm-hmm. You're just going to wonder what is going on. And I think that that happens e- in experimental theater, even when there's no media on yeah. stage. You know, there are going to be long periods where you're just sitting there with the AD and the dramaturg trying to sort something out. And it can be, and either the actors are into that and they want to flow with it and they're willing to try things or, you know, and kill your darlings because a lot of stuff along the way gets cut and changed and reformed. Or you, or people who are 
sort of want there to be a system, it, it's very difficult. It's very difficult for them. So it's really, I think, the more you can tell actors, you know, up front, this is going to be different, the easier it is for them to, to go with it. Rather than saying, you know, halfway through, I know this is really frustrating. Like, I like to just preempt that by saying, this is going to drive you insane. But then in the end, there's a big payoff because you're in this whole animal that's actually kind of new and people are, you know, interested because of that, that it's like a world, you're inhabiting this much larger piece. Yeah, and I would think that they also expand their skills and their craft. Yes, I think that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. In a, in a, in a huge way. Um, staffing and crew needs particular to your work. How many uh, are on crew? Well, we are designers crew? generally are with us when we tour um, because they're running the show. Um, I think the Sontag piece at the workshop, because we're there for four weeks, is the first time that our designers haven't physically run our shows in wow. the entirety yeah. of the run um, because they are like characters in the I mean it's it does it is rhythmic like they they do we don't we don't traditionally have us work with a stage manager in the way that theater we don't have someone calling the shows because the designers are adjusting things during the performance so that aspect of it is also live and um, that's much more a European model yeah it is yeah mm-hmm. that's right. where you know in Europe you don't have stage managers so. yeah isn't that weird? It's amazing to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, because if you said to an American, you know, just a regular commercial show company, we're not going to have a stage manager. They're, I mean, you know. <laughs> we have a stage manager for Sante. <laughs> but for years, I didn't even know what a stage manager was supposed to do. Seriously, because to me, it's like everyone's room, everyone in the room has the responsibility to, to pay attention and play the show. And to be on time. Well, yeah, like literally and figuratively. So, yeah, yeah. so like somebody telling someone else to push a button is not a theatrical event. But now, but now I appreciate it. I deeply appreciate it because I'm not the one trying to organize schedules and things like that. Right. I kind of learned that a few years ago. So, so then, so what is the, What are the? What is the crew on Sontag? Uh, well, the running crew yeah. for Sontag. We have um, our associate video designer Jesse, who runs the old the old version of Sontag, who's a pre-recorded video. So he actually created a software program. Which he calls the Sontagulator 3000. (laughs) It's it's a little keyboard, and he can speed her up or slow her down depending on how Moe's pacing is. Wow. She didn't want Moe to be, like, constantly trying to think about what Oldie was doing. So Jesse plays her. Like an actor. Like I mean, an and Jesse has an acting background he does. as well oh as being a video gosh. designer, and that's huge. Yeah, it's critical. I mean, it's such a huge. I mean, that's another thing, just FYI, if you're looking for designers, it really, really helps to have someone who has been on stage because they have a kind of sense of perform- the liveness, like doing yeah. it in real time, that's really critical. So, anyway, so Jesse's So Jesse's doing that, um, and then we have a sound person who's running the soundboard. Sometimes it's our designer, Dan Dobson. Sometimes it's uh, just a board op. Um, We have a stage manager, Lindsay, who is calling the light cues, which are also linked to video cues, some of them. So it's, they're connected. So it's just the light cue also triggers the video. Um, Because we have a a light board operator who's, who's just hitting a button. Um, but she doesn't. Call, but Lindsay does not call the sound. She does the not call cues. the sound cues. No, and she doesn't. Jesse is running his own show with the old version of Sontag. 
Um, and we have an assistant stage manager also. Who and is that who's on deck? Because yeah. somebody's on deck. Mm-hmm. How'd you know so that? I could see that part. I mean, I couldn't see that part. Oh, good. I had a fantastic part, but I couldn't see that part. But occasionally, Mo would, like, you could see somebody was there, and then she walked off at that point. Yeah, oh, yeah they I walked could. off together. Yeah, yeah which is yeah. nice. Yeah. So that's it. And that's it. That's pretty good. But that's yeah, very small. Of the video, now I, now I feel like, ah. Uh, okay. Now good, I get it. Good, good. I'm I glad could we got to that. I figure out how she was giving such a well formed. Has anybody else in the room seen it yet? Oh, oh good. She was giving Great. such a well formed performance. With a video, I could yeah. not figure that out. Well, that's what I kind of mean about liveness. Like, this is the other thing, like, using video as a backdrop or using it as, like, um, you know, you can't just, like, press play and then expect the actor to right. act with it because then it does become very wooden. Mm-hmm. And, the act, and the actor, I, I mean, I would, I would never do that to them. I think it's a, hor- it's a sort of meaningless experience. It's like saying lip sync, mm-hmm. you know, so... It ha- so that's why the tech has to be live. Like, it is like another performer. So then it's much more, you know, like that, the stage experience. But and is this, is yeah. sorry to interrupt you, but I'm is done. this doable, like, for somebody who's not the Builders Association? Yes. Yeah? I mean, doable, you mean to incorporate it into yeah, your Yeah, I mean, at least to start in that direction. Yes. I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting because there are so many video designers and video artists out there who would be very, very interested in joining hands with some someone in here. So it is a little bit like these two tracks need to start intersecting a little bit more. But they do, and you can find people, and I think that's... It's not saying, like, you need to learn the piece of software. You just need to learn to talk to a designer. Mm. And you have formed these interesting partnerships for the Arctic yeah. video. I love their yeah. stuff. Um, and Motorota, is that right? Motorota is a South Asian company based in London, and we've worked with them. And Yeah, I mean, we've done all kinds of, like, you know, the National Center for Supercomputing in, in Illinois, but <laughs> some of that's just fundraising. You know, I think it sort of, it really depends on where your heart goes in terms of what you want to bring to a show. But you ask away. I do. I ask away. Interesting. It's good. Um, the Builders Association has a very well-defined mission statement. Thank you. How, how have you found this helpful to establishing and growing the company? And I ask this because does anybody in the room have their own production company? Great. So uh, it always seems very helpful to me to have some kind of almost some limitations. <coughs> oh, God, yeah. Um, but... Can we talk about this a little bit? Both, both of you, because I, I think it also helps for fundraising. Sure. Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think the mission statement is, is just something that you refer to whenever you're starting a project. I mean, for us, Marianne is the artistic leader of this company. So she, it's, it's her vision. And I've, I mean, I've been there for four years. I've never looked at the mission statement and said, uh, that's absolutely not what we're doing. You know? <laughs> like, I can't imagine that to be the case. I think it's probably different when you have like a group of people who are making decisions about the artistic direction of a company. But you know, in our case, it's pretty. We haven't changed but, it in a while. Yeah, that's true. God. <laughs> but also, I think just for those of you who have one, that you need to challenge yourself to read it sort of with a neutral eye and see if it's saying anything new. Because yeah. you often don't want to say just like, it's a theater company based in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be, and we're passionate about dot, dot, dot. doesn't really matter what. It's just that you need to set it off and say, this is my, this is my idea. You know, this is where I get 
where I, what my vision is. So even if it sounds completely nut job, you know, it's better to have a vision, and by which I mean a little elevator speech, than just to say I'm interested in theater directing. So, you know, you've got to find some in. And has it changed over the years since you started? No, it really hasn't. Isn't that bizarre? It's interesting because your work is different. You started with Ibsen, I think, right? Did you start with we Ibsen? did. We started with Master Builder, but we set it in a big three-story house that came apart during the course of the show, and it was lined with you know, video and sound triggers, and the audience was kind of invited into the house afterwards to play it like an instrument. And so, you know, it's all been pretty much down the same road. I mean, I don't... The thing is, I really resist saying the work is about technology anymore. That's what's changed. That is what's changed. I used to say it's using technology to talk about technology. And now I figured, you know, we're all immersed in this world. It's not interesting anymore to just say it's about technology. I mean, it's really still about storytelling. but the, And the tech is just our palette. It's not really like we need to use it. I, I, I don't think of it as like promoting technology. And you now you, you mention it in terms of, is it old and new tools? Or old yeah. And new, you, you mentioned yeah. tools. And yes, yeah. Well, because as I was saying, I mean, stagecraft is full of, you know, old technologies. And so it's not really like we're saying anything adamant about using technology. We're just saying, like, make a visual, make an interesting visual world. Can we talk for a minute about, I know a couple people in this room are, are, are examining the prospect of an MFA. Yeah. You do not have an MFA, is that correct? I don't. You know, I mean, I think that there's, it's a but very... I have taught, yeah. I mean, I've taught... A little bit here and there, and I taught, and I am currently the head of the graduate directing program at Carnegie Mellon, but that's ending next year. But in any case, I sort of feel like, you know, the reason to go to, co- to school, to go back to school, is because it gives you time and space to work. Like, you get, you know, you're not just struggling to put together every production. You actually have a safe space to do something however modest but you know ultimately that's not where you're going to learn to direct I mean I think that the the better road and certainly the one that was the most productive for me is to apprentice yourself to somebody you admire and or whoever somebody you know who's who you think is doing something interesting even if it's not like your you know your dream job and to find out how they're doing it because really, you learn on your feet. I mean, that's what you're going to be doing, is working on your feet. So, I mean, it's okay to have, it's certainly helpful to have the background, the sort of deeper bones of, you know, the history of theater. But I think actually being a director is something that you learn in the room. And what is your best advice for your students? Oh, my God. I mean, it's a tough road to hoe. You know, it's not, it's not, um, that easy making the space for yourself in the world. So um, what do I do? I guess I say, you know, it's important to give yourself the time to think and write and read and not just worry every day about getting a production out there. But, you know, if you want to create something new and interesting, then you have to kind of invest the time in yourself. So that sounds a little counterproductive and maybe narcissistic, but ultimately, you know, you really need to, like, dig deeper into what you're interested in rather than just saying, I'm going to do, you know, Tale of Two Cities again. It's like, why and how? 
No, it's somebody just said the other night saying no was her was was kind of her best advice. Oh, that's hilarious. You know, sometimes you just have to say no. Yeah. I, I, it's not about just getting a new credit on your resume. Yes, definitely. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so questions for Marianne and Erica. Uh, yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask about, you talked about live um, so from an acting uh, uh, storytelling. You talked about dimensionality, two versus three, uh, from a visual perspective. Two screens or two? One, uh, two dimensions. Three, oh. The, the two dimensions of the screen versus the three dimensions. Oh, right, right, right. Right, right, right. Well, um, I mean, I'm the most interested in blurring it, so you can't really tell sometimes. You know, the actor kind of needs to be integrated or working with this, with the video. So um, it's never really like having an actor stand away from the video and, and be like, and now I'm acting. You know, it's very much about, yeah, blurring the line between stage space and media space. So, I mean, I think, again, that's that, go, just goes back to that thing, like, don't, you can't use a screen as a screen anymore. It has to be some tricky, magical, you know, projection idea. Even if it's just running off a laptop, it's still, you know, more important than just having a, a movie screen in the background. Does that answer that? Yeah. Uh, earlier you said you started in composition. How did you come into theater? What, what made you decide to go? Oh, well, um, it's a long tale, but I uh, I basically ended up falling in love with the Worcester Group's work, and so um, you know, just through determination, got it. Ended up as the AD there, so that's really how I, you know, cut my teeth. I never really went through a normal theater channel. And she's great in terms of nur- nurturing. Yeah, I mean, she's insane, but it's a really good, it's a great environment. And I mean that in in this fondest sense. In terms of um, discussing how you read the New York Times and you find people's stories, is there something like legality of taking someone's story, and did you ever contact them to get more? What's that kind of relationship like? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, definitely, if you're going to try to do some something straight up, like a bio, then I think you need to... It's much more complicated. Um, I mean, I'm more, like, abstract an idea. But with Sontag, you know, I was fortunate enough to know her, and so I knew her son, and so he gave us the rights to the journals which the show is based on. So that was very unusual, and, you know, we totally lucked into it. I think it, it can be very tricky. What about jet lag? Sorry, I keep going back to that. No, 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 no. Um, because those were two individual stories. Yes, they are. Well, the, the sailor story was has been, there's a movie about it, um, there's, a book, there's a novel, so I think that was kind of just out, More kind public. of in the public domain. And the grandmother story was absolutely unheard of, and nobody really knows what happened to her. So it was pretty easy picking. But you, you didn't have to get clearance or no. anything like that? Wow. Interesting. Could, could you speak a little bit about Continuous City and the logistics of how you put that together? Sure. You mean how, well, Le- Continuous City takes place all over the world, and we, <coughs> went, we shot in China and, I don't know, everywhere, Las Vegas. <laughs> Um, is, that what, is that the part of it that you mean? Well, at, during the actual production that there were, it appeared that there were live feeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Good. I'm so glad. Um, well, it was all pre-recorded, actually. But it was kind of the same thing where it was being played 
live and also the actors in that were incredible in terms of being able to play off the video. I mean, that's another way to encourage the actors is to say that they animate the video because they kind of do in a way. You know, it's their response to it that makes it seem live. So, um, yeah, that was all just many layers of pre-recorded material. The Skype calls, actually, it wasn't called Skype. It was before Skype, but there's a, a scene where the actor on stage is Skyping, and we, originally I think the intention was to do those live, yeah. but the technology wasn't there to do a three-way Skype-esque phone call, so we ended up having to pre-record those. We would pre-record them the day of the show. He was calling his family member, yeah. or a family yeah. member, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you do them live now, now that the technology yes, is there? Yes, oh it was such live. a nightmare. Good. It was yeah. a real nightmare. Because we were on tour, and then we were trying to get record... Um, one of his cousins was in India and the other one was in DC and so everywhere we went we had to like get those two people on the phone and set it up and record it like the day of every performance and it was just a nightmare so you never yes. lied you never said it's not oh we always lied okay. I always told people it was live <laughs> but you never lied in terms of this is happening today? I mean, you, you, never, you, you never used one from a prior day? No, because that was the idea was to say to people, oh yeah, it's today's headline. There's no way they could have pre-recorded it. It's uh, a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Michael. When I think of uh, all the possible universities where you can teach, Carnegie Mellon, which uh-huh. is known for wanting to have technology integrated with uh-huh. and you're alluding to that they're not really open to Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I think they are. I think it's a very conservative program. So it's what's happening everywhere, which is that there's this kind of like old guard, new guard, you know, passionate debate going on about whether how much of this should be in theater, in theater proper. So, um, I mean, definitely the tools are there. We've built a lot. There's kind of a whole interesting media part of the theater program now. But it's, um, it's an uphill battle. I mean, I think it is everywhere still. In academia. So I remember Randy Pausch's... Uh, right, well, he's brilliant, drama. brilliant man. Yeah. But not in the school of drama. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't in the school of drama. Gotcha. Right. But, no, you're right. I mean, Carnegie Mellon is a very, you know, it's like a, it's ready for this kind of thing yeah. in a different way. Yeah. Leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> so how do you go about finding your text? Do you have specific devising exercises that you turn to? Um, God, I wish that I did have viewpoints or something like that. I mean, um, in the last couple shows, it has been hugely instrumental to have people who've been in the company really kind of try to write out a sketch. So I'm totally not against people entering the space with some kind of a working script. It just needs to be something that's considered like a text design. You know, not necessarily like these are the precious words, but this is the arc. And then you can just go at it. I mean, and that's the idea is to say to the designers, what can you bring to this skeleton? So really it's more about like entering with a skeleton than a, than a finished script. Um, well, yeah, Ariane Mishkin is an amazing director who you guys, sometimes she performs at the Park Avenue Armory and is just kind of an epic, amazing French director who's been around for 30 years. And um, 
Uh, Romeo Castellucci is a very interesting Italian director who, weirdly enough, has performed in Montclair a couple times, never in New York. Um, that's really it. But there are certainly lots of newer, you know, people like in your generations who are out there who are starting to do this on a more, you know, like in a grassroots kind of way. Is it hard to rely on the media so much? I mean, what if... Oh, my God. I have lost years of my life. I mean, when we were in the Singapore Opera House having to stop and reboot the... The, direct, the projectors, I could just hear my nerves like frying, basically. I mean, I could feel them. I could smell them. And um, yeah, we've had to stop at BAM. I mean, it's definitely, you know, taking your life in your hands. I don't think, think of it as any different. It's live theater. Anything can go wrong at any time. You know, an actor can fall. Something could, you know, it can, stuff goes wrong. The technology can, can crash, sure. But it's another thing that can happen in live performance. I don't see it as any different. It's nerve-wracking. You never told me that. Because <laughs> I, I can't even watch. Yeah, she doesn't even come into the room. She's like out in the lobby pacing. But no, I mean, I think that's, that's true. That is true. It's just, it's tough. It's, it's, but it's interesting, though. People used to t- say that all the time, and I think a lot of people who are writing about this kind of work would mention that when they were writing about it, and it stopped. That has stopped. You don't, Yeah, that's true. You don't hear about that anymore as a... Does it a risk. Often? Yeah. More often than I would care to. Listen, it used to happen so much more because the technology, right. the computers were so much more unstable and the whole system was like, you know, built on a, some duct tape. And I theaters think, weren't equipped for it either. And not equipped. And theaters weren't equipped right. for it. You know, yeah, I think now it's much more, it's much less likely. Um, and also people are more used to it, you yeah. know. So, yeah. In the back there. Yeah. How do you keep abreast of it, or do you keep abreast of it? Well, I don't really. I mean, I think that's kind of also up to your designers to find the to bring the tools to the table, and I and I also think you know this is a tricky thing as a director, but you need to kind of imagine what it's going to be, and then try to get your directors to attach to that vision, rather than you saying, you know, I saw this cool thing on Forty Second Street. I want you to do that. Um, so you don't really need to know exactly what's happening. If you have a smartphone, you know what's happening. Believe it or not. Can you talk a little bit about what it's been like juggling uh, being in academia and your own creative endeavors? Yeah. Pros and cons. <laughs> well, I, I just took this job um, four years, five years ago. So it's really been a, a, a late addition. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of great. I mean, I think if you have the experience, it's fun to teach from it. I think that um, teaching, directing is, again, very tricky, tricky. I think you can have a discussion around like the larger idea of directing, but it's you can't really teach someone to be a director. You can teach them to be a better director. So, um, you can give them notes, in other words. Yeah, or, and you have to, ch- you know, it's things you should challenge yourself uh, to do every day. You know, why are you doing that? What are you trying to say? But um, I'm not really like a, I'm not gonna be an academic. I'm sorry to say, it's just not happening. I mean, no, it's great, but it's not. it's not a, uh, it's certainly not the same as 
being in the room and doing your own work. But you were able to find time with your teaching schedule to do your own work. Well, I mean, I did, but it's been very, it's been extremely challenging with the company, I think. And, um, you know, I was lucky because we had a bunch of projects lined up. I think oh, I now see. trying to get work or, you know, get work and be a teacher is very, very hard. Mm. You know, it's very demanding. Yeah, yeah. In um, working on projects for as long as it takes to complete them or, you know, two years, yeah. what happens when you lose collaborators, like actors and designers? Do you just put it on hold or do you... No, 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 no. No, you can't put it on hold. You have to just keep going. I mean, we, I rarely do, but that's because I make people sign in blood when they start. <laughs> and I think if you engage people enough and they feel invested, they will find a way to, to stick with it. But it really, you need to be like maniacally devoted to it and not depend too much on people coming and going. Oh, I was just wondering, um, you mentioned that you work with architects, uh, I think you mentioned journalists. How do you reach out to some of these people that maybe aren't used to collaborating with theater artists? You know, I think people are really flattered when you say, I come from this different place, you know, would you be interested in coming with me? Because it's a very surprising request. Um, and, you know, the most important thing, I think, is to find people who have a certain kind of flexibility. What you don't want to do in any form is find somebody who's saying, you know, I have to, it has to be this way because then you're both screwed. But somebody who, if you say, you know, I'm, I love this idea, let's, let's have a dialogue. Generally, people are extremely receptive. You know, I've never really met anyone who doesn't want to at least have a cup of coffee. Hmm. You had mentioned you guys teach master classes. Yes. Yes, it is open. We're just starting. We're going to schedule our fall class in the next couple of weeks, so that information will be on our website as soon as it's scheduled. And if you want to send that to me, I will send that out to Great. everybody as well, to everybody on our list as Great. well. Great, thank you. Uh, one more question in the back. And then we'll... You had mentioned fundraising and just asking everyone, do you have any other hints or tricks or tools to fundraising? God, it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of no alcohol. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing, there's two things. One is just go for every grant. Even if it seems completely far-fetched, it doesn't hurt to try it. And, um, you know, New York Foundation for the Arts still has this little publication, FYI, that has lists all available grants, especially for individuals, every month. And so there's little things you can go for. And then the other thing is everybody knows one person who can connect them to other people. And, you know, it's... I find it extremely difficult to ask people for money. But I think if you can get them excited about an idea, it's possible that somebody could, you know, throw in a couple thousand dollars. I mean, it's not, you're not going to make a, a big, you know, you're not going to get a half a million dollars from one person. But I think everyone knows that people are fundraising for their work. So it's not, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. I mean, that's unfortunately part of your role as an artist is going to be fundraising. And it always has been finding that yeah. patron. I mean, it all it always. Yeah, has. that's right. That's right. So, well, thank you both. Oh, for thank being you. Here. Yeah. Thank you for listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. 
This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union, celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members, and generous funding from the NEA, the New York State Council on the Arts, and the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council.